0: This is lead minister Nathan Pelahowski of RSEC. I just want to welcome you to the RSEC podcast. Here's something I want you to know. I want you to know that you matter. Not because I say you matter, but because God says that you matter when he sent his son Jesus to die for us. Today I hope this message challenges you and encourages you to take your next faith What is up, RSCC? It is awesome to be with you. If you are joining us online or podcast, we welcome you. My name is Nathan. I'm the lead minister here at the church, and it is awesome to be back with you after having to quarantine last week and miss a week, and Don did a great job, so if you see him, go ahead and tell him they did awesome. We are in part three, though, of this series that we are calling Nobodies, where we are looking at people in the Bible that maybe you don't know, maybe never heard of, maybe you have if you're real familiar with your Bible, but they're nobodies. And and the kind of basis of this series is is off this idea that throughout the Bible, there are nobodies, right? Everybody's a nobody in the Bible. You and I, we're nobodies, but something happens. This is kind of the, the overarching point of the series is that when the ordinary meets the extraordinary, when you and me, the ordinary nobody, meets the extraordinary God, Extraordinary things happen. That we're going to talk about this idea that you're going to see, and I hope by the end of the series you realize that to God, nobody is a nobody. That includes you, no matter what you think, that nobody is a nobody. So when the, extra- when the ordinary meets the extraordinary God, extraordinary things happen. And today we're going to look at this dude, this dude, he's a a tough guy, that's why I'm going to call him a dude, he's a dude, he's a bro, and he is awesome. I heard about him several years ago, and you may have heard about him, and we're going to talk about him a little bit, but I want to first kind of ask you a question to get rolling, and it'll make sense as we get rolling. And here's a question, what is your greatest fear? What is your greatest fear? Is it failure? Is it death? So many people fear death. Is it the loss of a loved one? Is it that something will happen to your children? Is it that you'll never get enough money to get to the life you want? Is it Will you never get that dream job? Is it you'll never beat the addiction? Is it that you'll never overcome a sin, that sin that's destroying everything? Is it that the way things are are the way they're always going to be and life's never going to get any better? Is your greatest fear that you'll, you'll, you'll look at your life and, and you'll never measure up? That's where I fall. I've shared that with you guys, that often my greatest fear is that I'm going to feel inadequate. I've felt that since I was a kid, like that I'm never going to be good enough, that I'm never going to measure up to the type of person that God's called me to be, the type of person that God wants me to be, that I'm just never going to measure up. What is your greatest fear? Now, we all have fears. Every single one of us. Now, here's what's interesting. We have big fears and then we have like phobias of like cotton balls. There's phobias of toads or heights. But I learned something this week that we are born with two fears, the, fears of, the fear of falling and the fear of loud noises. That is it. We are born with two fears. What does that mean? That means to you and me that every other fear we have is learned. Every other fear. Is learned. So, what does that mean? Th- that, that means if, if fear is learned, then it can be unlearned. And here, I want you to think about this for a second. Fear often causes us to miss what God wants to do in us and through us. So, these fears that we learn often cause us to miss what God wants to do in us and through us. And if we can learn them, then we can also unlearn them, and they can be broken by the power of Christ, can't they? That if fear causes us to miss what God wants to do in us and through us, then we have to realize that if we learn, if we can learn fear, then we can also unlearn fear and that the power of fear can be broken by the power of Christ. And whatever fear you have and whatever whatever that big fear is that you fear most is a tool that the enemy, spiritual enemy, is using against you. Because fear never comes from God. It just doesn't come from God. It doesn't. But fear, cause, fear causes us to miss what God wants to do through us. Listen to what Paul wrote in, in 2 Timothy. I, I love this Bible verse. And maybe this, this is one of those verses I, I call a Hobby Lobby verse. Like, it, it, like they make motivational like wood panel things out of it. And you might have it in your house. But here's this verse. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, does not make us fearful, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline what's Paul saying? He said, God didn't give you the spirit of fear. He gave you the spirit to be courageous. He gave you the spirit to be brave. He gave you the spirit to overcome your fears and attack life and not be scared of what happens in this world or what the enemy uses against you. He gave you the spirit of not being timid and fearful, but the the spirit of being courageous. And God says, I give you the spirit to step into everything I've offered for you, But often fear makes us miss what God wants to do in us and through us. So we have a motto we're going to live by today. We're going to live by this motto. So if fear is so important and it kind of dictates our lives, here's our motto. Kind of, You can kind of summarize the the talk in this, braver, not safer, Uh, that God is calling us to be braver, not safer. That means as a church, here's what we're pledging to do today, that we're going to step where God calls us to step. We're going to go where God calls us to go. We're going to be brave where God calls us to be brave. We're going to give where he calls us to give. We're going to step into the life that he has called us to live because we're going to be braver, not safer. You can say that with me, braver, not safer. Now here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at a nobody today who his life is defined by this. This is his catchphrase. If he had a Twitter today, he would say, Mike, you know, bio, I'm braver, not safer, but before we get there, we're going to go to this book in the Bible that we never really go to. It's called 1 Chronicles. And before we can look at this guy, we first have to look at the context of where we find him. So we find his name in two places in the Bible. 2 Samuel 23 and Chronicles 11. So we're going to be in Chronicles 11. And, and in chapter 11 in 1 Chronicles, it starts off with David's mighty men. And these guys are tough. It says, these were the chiefs of David's mighty warriors. They, together with all of Israel, gave his kingship strong support to extend it over the whole land as the Lord had promised. This is the list of David's mighty warriors. So we're not going to read the list today. There's a bunch of people, and here's, where we're not going to read, here's why we're not going to read the list. For time purposes. But also, I don't want to mess their names up. And also, I don't want to look like a fool up here. But here's what these, 30 men, these men do. They're David's mighty men. And it tells us all about them right here. They gave David what he needed, the strong support he needed to be the type of king that he needed to be. So we got these lists in 2 Samuel 23 and 1 Chronicles 11, starting verse 10. You got these lists of these names of men. And the, the names are always broken up into two categories. There's the three. Now, the three, they're the baddest of the bad. They're the toughest of the tough. It said one guy killed 800 men in one battle. 800 men. We don't know how. Maybe he ran him off a cliff. We don't know. 800 men. Another one of the three stood, you know, when everybody else was, you know, retreating, he stood his ground and fought and won. All right, so there, there's those three. And then there's another group of people. It's called the 30. And it's really more than 30 names. And why we see a little bit more than 30 is some believe that, scholars believe that maybe some of the 30 originally died and some others replaced them. But then there's these 30 men. And these men are tough too. They're just not as famous. But they are tough. They are bad. In today's world, they're the special forces. They're, they're the, you know, the, the Navy SEALs, the Green Berets. These are the Rangers. These are the toughest of the tough. And they're David's right-hand men. So David, before he was king, he, he, and he was a great leader, before he was king, though, he got these men. And they were his thirty men. And they were the bravest of the brave and the best of the best. And they're amazing. And a side note is we learn here from this instance, and this has really nothing to do with where we're going today, but it's so important. No one makes it by themselves in life. When it's overcoming fear, when it's overcoming, living the life that God wants you to have, no one makes it by themselves. So we all have a list of people. You have a list. David had a list. I have a list of people. And I can think of it my mom, Jay, Whitney, Tyson, Davis, Mike, Josh, Don, Mitch. Like I can think of these people right off the top of my head. No one makes it by themselves. Well, in these group of 30, there is one guy we're going to talk about today, and his name is Beniah. Beniah was a bad man. Here's what we know about Beniah. Listen to what he did. It's going to make you want to fight. Trust me. It's, it's in First Chronicles as well. And, and here's what it's going to say. It's going to say this in First Chronicles. Let me get to it real quick for you. It Says Beniah, son of Jehoda, and Jehoda was a, a priest. Uh, so Beniah was the son of Jehoda, a vigilant fighter from Kabazil, Performed great exploits. He struck down Moab's two mightiest, mighty, mightiest warriors. He also went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. And he struck down an Egyptian who was five cubits tall. Basically, he was a giant, right? He was so tall. And although the Egyptian had a spear like a weaver's rod in his hand, he had this spear with a giant spearhead. But went against him with a club. He's going against this giant basically with a stick. So he's going against him with, with a club. And he snatched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. And then I love what it says. Such were the exploits of Maniah, son of Jehoda. He too was f- as famous as the mo- three mighty warriors. He was held in great honor, greater honor than any of the 30, but was not included among the three. And David put him in charge of his bodyguard. Bodyguards. Come on now, come on. You read that, doesn't that pump you up? Listen to what he did. He he killed two mighty warriors. The Bible says that these are lion-like men. He killed a a giant Egyptian with a giant spear and then he went into a pit on a snowy day with a lion and he won. Beniah man, was a bad man. He was was a tough guy. He's one of the most savage people in the Bible. And it says amongst the 30 he became the most famous. He became the most famous amongst the rest of them. He wasn't greater than the three, but he was right up there with them. So much so that he became bodygu- the, the, chief, you know, the chief bodyguard. He was in charge of the bodyguards of David. And some 40 years later, when King Solomon would become King David's son, he was Solomon's leader and general of the army. But Naiah had a great life great accomplishments, fighting giants and fighting lions. But it all traced back to one thing in his life. In his life, he was braver than safer. He went where God called him to go. He believed that God had destined King David to be king, so he followed David and was loyal to him. He comes from a priestly line, so he's a godly man, and he knew when God called him to do something, or God led him to battle, when God led him in front of a giant, led him in front of a lion, that he could be braver and not safer, because God had sent him. Now we can't, I wish we could go over every little aspect today of David's life and all these men, but we can't. We're going to look at one point of Beniah's life today. And here it is. It's one little phrase that I learned in 2006 for the first time when a book came out called In a Pit on a Snowy Day. So, a lot of what we're going to look at for the rest of the day is from that book and the sequel of that book, Chase the Lion. But here's what we're going to look at He also went down into a pit on a snowy day and he killed a lion. Let's zoom out for a second. We don't know why he—he. He, he, we don't know why he's in the situation he is. We don't know where he's going. We don't know what he's doing. We don't know how big this lion is. We don't know where this lion came from. We don't know where Benaniah is. But all we know, is on a snowy day, he went down into a pit, chased a lion into a pit, and killed a lion. A lion. Okay, lions can be up to five hundred pounds. They can run up to 35 miles per hour. It said with one you know, hit of the paw, they can crush your skull. It said that they can bite through any bone in the human body. Lions are the baddest of the bad. But Beniah was badder than bad. He was the toughest of the tough. And he went in that pit and he killed a lion. I like what someone said. It's like when, when, when lions sat around campfires at night. They told horror stories. They told scary stories about Beniah. When, when lions checked under the bed at night for Chuck Norris, Chuck Norris checked under his bed at night for Beniah. He was legit. He chased a lion into a pit, and then he killed it. That's amazing. Uh, that, that guy right there is the toughest of the tough. And you got to admit, if you're going to be put something on your resume, why not put killing a lion in a pit? And I want you to think about this though. So th- when it comes to our fears, and just think about this and just kind of start to make that correlation a little bit. When he faced this lion, it was the worst possible opponent in the worst possible place. If I'm going to fight a lion, last place I want to fight him is a pit in the worst circumstance on a snowy day in moccasins because that's what they wore in the sandals. And he won. The worst possible opponent, the worst possible place, in the worst possible circumstance, and he won. Now, here's what you're thinking. You're like, all right, dude, that, that is really good, and that's awesome, and that's great. But what in the world does that have to do with me? I don't kill giants. I don't kill lions. Man, I don't even know how to throw a spear, right? I don't, I don't know. I'm scared of lions at the zoo. What does this have to do with me? And we we're like, well, that's a great story, but there's nothing in here for me. And I, I want to just stop you there. and like This is where the Bible becomes so interesting. I, lo- I, I love what Paul wrote, wrote in a letter when he was talking to a church in a letter that we call Romans. And Here's what he says. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. Everything written in the past was written to teach us. So when we read about these nobodies in this series, remember we're, we're looking at their lives, not to necessarily be exactly like them, But to learn from them, to learn from their faith, to learn from their mistakes, to learn from their courage. That's what's going on here. These aren't just some cute Sunday school teachings. These aren't just something that's cool to read about and be like, hey man, that's awesome. But there's something that we are to actually learn. So I I took that into perspective as I was writing this and and thinking about this this week and researching Beniah's life. And one thing kept coming to my mind. And it's this image, image of him fighting a lion. If you can get that in your mind. Fighting a lion. Now I found it interesting that he chose to fight a lion. Or, or scripture says he fought a lion. And not a bear. Not a tiger. Tiger would have been pretty cool too. A panther. You know. Or, you know he fought a school of snakes. Like you don't see any of that. He fought a lion. And why is that interesting? Well, because some thousands of years after Benaiah was alive, a disciple named Peter, a disciple of a man named Jesus, who watched Jesus be crucified, and eventually later in his life, he wrote a letter to a group of Christians and churches, and this is what he says in this letter about an enemy. And th- listen to what he says. He says, "Be alert and, and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring what, like a roaring lion." looking for someone to devour. Peter says, basically, you have a very real enemy. And that enemy is Satan. And he's like a lion. And he's, ro- he's roaming around looking for you, to devour you. And Satan's number one agenda, his number one agenda in your life and in my life, is to derail us from what God wants to do in, a, in our lives. So here's what he does. This lion, our enemy, throws out little lions. What do I mean by that? He throws out things in your life that we're going to call lions. Fears. Temptations. He boosts your ego. He makes you feel real comfortable like you don't need God. Your pride. He throws out doubts. Throws out sins. And he throws these into your life. Why? Because he wants to hurt God. And he knows if he can get to you, it can hurt God because God loves you so much. And Satan wants you to fail. He wants to ruin your life. And here's what Satan knows. Is he knows he's not the strongest. He knows he doesn't have the most knowledge. God is way stronger, has way more knowledge. But Satan knows he's stronger than us. And he's smarter than us. And he also knows this, that we give him way too much power and way too much credit. And the lion... Satan only has as much power as we give him. He only has as much power as you and I allow him to have in our lives. And he knows, with so many of us know, that time and time again, we're going to give him way too much power. So with that being said, Talking about the lion and realizing we give him too much power. What lion do you need to chase? Because we all have a lion. We all have something in our life that, that we need to attack so it stops derailing us and getting us in our way of our relationship with God. And maybe it's different than the person next to you. Maybe for you, it's a physical condition. That you feel like your physical condition or sickness is holding you back. Maybe for some of you after this last year, you lost a loved one because of this pandemic. And it's just it's just got you trapped in grief. Some of you, it could be that you feel like you're financially ruined. And you're just so focused on money. Some of us, it's an addiction. It's a secret sin. It's, it's this idea, maybe if it's not something like that, it's this idea that you know God's calling you to something more but you don't want to do it because you're a little afraid or you're a little comfortable or you're a little too prideful. Maybe it could be that that you're you're not having enough faith, that your lion is you don't have enough faith in God. You don't have enough trust in God. Maybe your lion is this, that you're working a job and you know that's not what you're created to do. You know that God has so much more planned for you, but you're comfortable. and You're like, I don't know if I leave. it, it, It could be too risky, So what you're going to do is you're going to spend the next 20 to 30 years working a job you don't like because you won't face the lion. We all have lions. And here's what I think, what happens. I've seen time and time again and I've seen in my life and you know this in your life, we're comfortable isolating our lions. We're comfortable acknowledging them. So comfortable acknowledging them. But we don't have the guts we finish them off. We're comfortable isolating them, but we don't have the guts to finish them off. We'll, ch- we'll acknowledge sin. We'll say, I got this problem. We'll acknowledge our addiction, but we don't have the guts to finish it off. We'll get right up to that pit, and we'll look at that pit, and we're like, God, I'm gonna do something for you, and before you take that step, you see that lion, and it's too big, and you stop, but what we're going to do today is we have to learn to be like our boy Ben. Beniah, who t- defeated lions, defeated giants, defeated warriors. We're going to learn how to finish off the lion. And there's two ways. Two ways to defeat the lions in our lives. The first one is this, and this is so important. For some of you out there, this gives you anxiety for me just saying it. Realize you have to take the risk. It is much riskier in your life. I'm going to Stay with me. It's much riskier in your life not to take the risk than it is to take the risk. It's much more dangerous in your life not taking the risk that God's calling you to than taking the risk that God has called you to. I'll explain that in a moment. But you have to bet that Benaiah, his whole life, when he was faced with these situations, that he knew the only way I'm going to defeat this giant, the only way I'm going to overcome these wars, the only way I'm going to defeat this lion is by taking the risk. And he knew that if he got into a pit with a lion and he didn't take the risk of fighting that lion, it was going to be greater than the risk of fighting that lion because that lion would kill him. If you go back to David's men, They all have one defining thing about them that is similar. From the three to the 30, they all took risk. It was a risk for when they started following David. You know when they started following him? When he was in a cave hiding from the king, King Saul, who wanted to kill him. David was not king yet. Yet they pledged allegiance and alliance to King David, meaning... That all of their lives were at risk of being killed because of being traitors. Their families' lives were at risk, at risk of being killed. But they took the risk because they believed God had called David to be king. And they believed what God was going to do through David was worth the risk. So let's think about this in our own life. When was the last time you took a risk in your faith? When was the last time you took the step when God said step? When was the last time you went when God called you to go? When was the last time you gave when God called you to give? You see, many times we're like, I'm going to play it safe. I'm going to play it safe. Uh, It's too dangerous to change majors. It's too dangerous to change jobs. It's too dangerous to to share my faith. It's too dangerous to talk about my beliefs. It's too dangerous to go to God's calling. It's too dangerous if I beat my addiction. It's too dangerous to overcome that sin. And I want to get in your business. And I want to be up front. you got to take the risk. You need to take the risk. you got to take the risk. And I'm talking to myself, we have to do what God has called us to do. We need to take the risk because here's what happens. Taking the risk equals having faith. Listen to what Hebrew says. Without faith. Without what? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without taking the risk, because faith is a risk. What I mean by that is faith is risky. Because you're putting your faith in God. That means you're giving God control. And whenever you surrender control, there's a risk in it. But it's far greater to not please God than it is to to take the risk to please God. Taking the risk equals having faith. And so many of us, we just have to realize that we need to have faith. Or you're going to look back in your life and you're going to regret it. There's a study done several years ago by two sociologists. And they studied this idea of of regrets in life. And they found that when you were younger, in your teens, in your 20s, into your 30s, the things that you regret are the things that you do. Losing your temper, cheating, you know, giving an addiction. But as you get older, you get towards the end of your life, they found that 84% of people said, you know, I, I did some dumb things, I did things that I regret, but my greatest regrets... Or my inactions. My greatest regrets are my inactions. That the the studies show that you regret the things you don't do in life. And right now, some of us we're at risk of one day looking back at our lives and regretting the risk we didn't take for God. Regretting that we didn't give God our marriages and our money and our time. We didn't pursue the dreams that God put on our hearts. We're going to be haunted by the should-have-dones or, or could-have-dones. See, so you can run away from fear. For the, for the, you can run away from your fear. But you'll be running for the rest of your life. But some point or other, sometime or other, another, you're going to have to look at yourself in the mirror and say, I'm going to stop letting fear dictate my life. And I love what the Apostle John said. He said this, he says, perfect love casts out all fear. Perfect love. And he goes on to say, basically, when you grow in your revelation, your understanding of, of God's love for you, that love casts out fear. Because you see how dearly God loves you. You see de- how dearly God wants to bless you and, and give you this life of inheritance of eternity. And that casts out Fear. And I I know sometimes we we look at the situations, the lions, and we're like, man, there's no way I'm going to win the battle for my marriage. There's no way I'm going to beat this addiction. That risk that God's calling me to take is just too big. But I want to ask you today, what if the life you want, the life you've been praying about, the future that God has for you, Is behind the lion you're chasing. Let's say that again. What what if the life you want, the life you've been praying about, the future God has planned for you, is behind the lion you're chasing? Because I'm gonna tell you this, the lion you're chasing, your breakthrough and your restoration and overcoming your fears is on the other side. Your victory is on the other side of your faith to chase the lion. And obedience to God. Your victory is on the other side of your faith and obedience to God. But to get that victory, you have to take a risk. Beniah's life was all about taking risk and it brought him to this position where he becomes the, the general, training people to take risk for the rest of their lives because he was braver, not safer. You and I, we have to be braver, not safer. And the second one, which is so important here today, if you want to defeat the lions in your life, you have to realize that the bigger your God, the smaller your lion. All the great people in the Bible, when David went up against Goliath, he saw that Goliath was huge. When, when Benaiah went up against the lion and the giant and the warriors, he saw that they were big and strong and mighty. But God was just bigger. And for whatever reason, you and I, what do we do? We spend too much time looking at the lion. Our first natural response is to look at the lion instead of looking up. We look at why it can't happen, why it won't happen. We look at the addictions and the power that they have over us instead of looking at God. And whatever your focus is, whatever you focus on is what's gonna get magnified in your life. And some of us are focused too much on the lion, on the pit, goes back to what we said earlier. We're giving the lion way too much power. Whatever you're focused on gets magnified. If you're focused on the lion, the smaller your God is. If you're focused on God, the smaller your lion is. Now let me say it this way, and this is really what I want you to take home with you. If you could take anything, this is your tweetable moment. When we look at the lions, the lions look big. The lions are big. 500 pounds, paws bigger than human heads. When you look at the lions, the lions look big. And when we look at God, the lions look small. So the question is how big is your God? How big is your God? Because the Benaiah's God, David's God, the God of the Bible, it's big. He's the Alpha, He's the Omega, He's the beginning and the end. He's all-powerful, all-knowing. All things are possible through him. He opens the eyes of the blind and he raises the dead. And this God sent his only son to die for you and me. And three days later, death couldn't even hold him. That's how big our God is. Three days later, he defeated death once and for all and rolled that stone away. God is bigger than we ever can imagine. Bigger than we can ever imagine. But so many times we focus on how small God is. But Benaiah, I have to believe he was locked in and focused on how big God was and how big the lion was. And I'm not telling you to go to the Cincinnati Zoo, hop in the lion cage and beat up a lion because I don't have enough, you know, faith in some of you that you could beat up a lion that's stuffed. I don't think you can beat up a stuffed animal, right? What I'm asking you to do is this. Don't focus on the lion. Don't focus on what he's leveraging against you. Focus on the only one God who can give you victory. And here's why we can do that. I love it. I love it. This is awesome. Again, this is one of those uh, like VBS Bible verses. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Paul says at the end of the day, The lion doesn't win because you have the ultimate lion chaser, Jesus. And Satan used his best little lion to attack Jesus' death. For three days, it seemed like he won. It's three days the world thought lions are going to win forever. But three days later, when that stone was rolled away, it showed us once and for all that Jesus is the lion slayer. And if you want to overcome the lions, focus on him. Give your, give, put your faith in him. Confess with your mouth that he is the Lord, that he is, he, is, he is the way, the truth, and the life. Focus on him. Don't focus on the lion. Don't focus on the lion. Peter says because, Paul says because, Satan's going to be crushed by the ultimate lion chaser, Jesus. Jesus is the only way to have a victory that ultimately matters. And I love, again, there's another Bible verse about this that promises us this. He goes, Now, in all these things, and all what? and all our fears, and all our risk, and all the things that happen in this world, we are more than conquerors. Through him who loved us, through Jesus, because you're not the hero, I'm not the hero, through Jesus we have victory. He is the hero. And because of him I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, or nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. No matter what happens, no matter how big the lion feels, no matter how bad it looks when you look around the world, we are more than conquerors through Jesus. That Jesus is the lion chaser. He's the ultimate lion chaser. And you want victory in your life from overcoming the lions, follow Jesus. Give the battle to Jesus. And sometimes we will lose earthly battles. We'll die. We'll get sick. Things won't go our way. But we follow a lion chaser. When we put our faith in him, who gives us a hope that no matter what happens in this life, we ultimately win because we get eternity with him. Be a lion chaser, take the risk, and realize that your God is bigger than any lion. Mark Batterson ended his book with with some words, and I want to read those words for you, and it's going to be a lot. He says, set God-sized goals. Go after a dream that is destined to fail without divine intervention. Stop pointing out problems and become part of the solution. Stop repeating the past and start creating the future. Face your fears. Grab opportunity by the hand and don't let go. Live today like today is the first day and the last day of your life. Burn sinful bridges. Live for the applause of nail scarred hands. Don't let what is wrong talk you out of of what is right with God. And then he continues, and and he says this, and and this is so awesome. It's my favorite part. Quit holding out. Quit holding back. Quit running away, and chase the lion. Quit holding out. Quit holding back. Quit running away, chase the lion. Today I want to give you an opportunity to chase the lion. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to ask you, if you want to make a decision to, to ultimately chase the lion, and, and so much so, and put your faith in Jesus today, we're going to meet you in the back. But we also want to take this opportunity to pray for anybody who needs prayer chasing their lions today. We'll meet you in the back as well. Chase the lion. Quit holding out. Quit holding back. Quit running away. chase the lion. Let us pray. God, we are so thankful that Jesus is the ultimate lion chaser. He's a giant slayer, that he is the king of kings, that he defeated death for us so we didn't have to defeat it ourselves. God, we love him so much. We're so thankful for that gift. And God, I pray today if there's anyone listening or needs to have a conversation about what it means to follow you and put your faith in you, God, that we do it today. We love you so much. It's your name we pray. Amen. It's been great hanging out with you guys today. I hope that message challenges you and encourages you today. We would love to have you on campus sometime at one of our services at 830 or 1045 on Sunday. Or to find out more information about RSCC, you can always go to the RSCC Family app. Or follow us on any social media platform at RSCC Family. Most of all, remember, you matter. Not because I say you matter, but because God says you matter. Now go and be blessed.